Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. We have come to the end of the book of Acts. We're going to try to cover the last couple of chapters today, some very exciting, dramatic events in these last couple of chapters as Paul has uh, been taken prisoner back in chapter 21, has stood before Gentiles and kings and Jews as well, Mm -hmm. and now is on his way to Rome, Yeah, to Caesar himself. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Paul had appealed to Caesar in the previous chapter, um, and so that's where they're going to send him, up the ladder as a Roman citizen. He has the right to appear before Caesar, and so that's going to be the next step uh, for Paul. And so this next chapter we're going to get into, Acts 27, is about their voyage there. And like Stephen said, it's very action-packed. So let's just go ahead and dig right in. Uh, We're going to look at Acts chapter 27, verses 1 through 20. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in an uh, Adramitean ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. And the next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. From there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. And there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. And when he had sailed slowly for a good many days, and with difficulty had arrived off Sindus, since the wind did not permit us to go farther, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salomne. And with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lasea. When considerable time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them, and said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there, if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. And when a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close inshore. But before very long, they rushed down from the land of a violent wind called Uroquillo, and when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, We gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along, running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda. We were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables and undergirding the ship, and fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands, since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us. For then on, 
all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Thought we'd leave it on a cliffhanger there. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> What's going to happen? So it's just kind of fascinating. As we've read through the book of Acts, um, you know, Luke is the one writing. And we've seen a couple of sections where Luke enters the text. And it's where the, you know, the pronouns shift from like, they did this, they did that, to like, we did this. And man, chapter 27 is like, we. like So Luke is with Paul on the ship. And the detail is extraordinary in this chapter. I mean, most of this has been kind of you know, summary statements about Paul's preaching activity, his journeys, the different cities where he's going. And suddenly we have a whole chapter of nautical terminology. Yeah, which, if you haven't been able to tell, just even by my reading of some of these terms, Stephen and I are not experts when it comes to naval <laughs> navigation. <laughs> uh, but I am a, a landlubber at heart. Yes, I, I grew up in landlocked Kentucky, so I, I did not you know, have all this, these terms floating around my head. But you got to appreciate Luke's ability to explain this, even to people like us who don't understand all these nautical terms. You can still envision what's happening super well because of his ability to write. So I, for what it's worth, I think that's super cool. Yeah, and this chapter is best read alongside a map, which we cannot provide on the podcast for you, but we would encourage you to just Google Acts 27 map. Mm-hmm. And, and, and reread um, it. Um, and maybe you pull it up, maybe you rewind it because you're listening to the podcast, and as we just read, you're following the map as you read. So we, we would encourage you to do that. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating. And I'll just say this as a side note. I mean, because this kind of raises the question like, what? Why, why do we have Acts 27? Like when you're teaching a Bible class on Acts, you're like, man, this is, this is cool. Yeah, like, it's this cool is exciting. Chapter. It's like a novel, but why, why is this in the book of Acts? I think part of it is to show the eyewitness testimony of Luke, that, that he's the one writing, and you can just see his fingerprints all over this book when you read the detail. Like This is not just making it up. He's putting it in here because he was there. And because he's telling about how Paul eventually was brought to Rome. And this book is going to end on a cliffhanger. He's just going to be in Rome preaching. And that's where it ends, probably because that's where Paul was when Luke is writing. And so this would have been perhaps fresh on his mind when he's writing this. Uh, It's a fascinating thing. So long story short, this first part starts off fairly uneventfully. They're just trying to take Paul to Rome. Uh, he's a prisoner on the ship here, and of course, there's a lot of people on board. We'll see that in a minute. Yeah, I think it's really cool, as you read through this chapter, to look for the moments where God is looking out for Paul, mm-hmm. uh, where he's clearly going to deliver Paul. Uh, for instance, where Stephen was leading is verse 3. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. Yeah. Um, so they're they're very generous man. Um treating Paul with kindness, but obviously the Lord was with Paul in that. Yeah, and they allow his friends to care for him. My understanding is that in like prison or house arrest, like they don't provide prisoners with a whole lot. Right. And so you're really dependent on your friends and family, brethren, to come and, and take care of you, like to give you food, supplies, whatever you need. And so he allows uh, Paul to go and be cared for by his friends when they stop there. So what's happening here is they're trying to find a good time to sail for Rome. I mean, they're sailing pretty much all the way across the Mediterranean, you know, from modern-day Palestine. They, they left from Caesarea, 
And now they're working their way island hopping and stopping at different ports across the Mediterranean. But um, it says in verse 9 that uh, the voyage is getting dangerous because the fast was over. It's very likely a reference to the Jewish Day of Atonement, which is the one possible like annual fast that the Jews would have done. In, in Leviticus 16.29, talks about the people afflicting themselves, mm-hmm. which is probably a reference to fasting on the Day of Atonement. And so this would have been like, if I understand correctly, the Jewish calendar, like late fall. Um, and it's true that like you don't want to be sailing in winter. Like the, the sto- winds are picking up. It sees, it's dangerous to sail at that time. And Paul warns them, says, sirs, I perceive the voyage is going to be of uh, much injury and loss, not only to the cargo and the ship, but our own lives. Like we're, we're taking our lives into our hands by like sailing. We should stay here for the winter. And then sail once you know the spring comes around and the weather's better. But the centurion's paying more attention to the pilot and owner of the ship than to what Paul said, which probably makes sense. He's a prisoner. It's like, why should I listen to this guy? But Paul's going to have a moment where he gets uh, justified here in just a second uh, when the, the weather does turn foul on them. Now, their intentions in verses 12 and 13, again, if you pull a map up, uh, they plan to go to this harbor in Crete um, from where they already were. Their plan wasn't to go that far mm-hmm. to winter. Um, there weren't Their intentions were not to go all the way to Rome. <laughs> right. they, they understood that, well, we can't make the entire journey, but we're going to make it just a little bit further down the coast um, and harbor there for the wintertime. And that's what Paul is warning them against not doing. Let's just winter here and then make it to Rome whenever winter clears up. Yeah. But, of course, they insist on going. Yeah. And it looks like things go well. You know, right. verse 13, the, it's got gentle wind, and then you, they go out. And then just as they're out from shore, here comes this. Now, yours had a really technical name for this. Mine says the Northeaster. Um, what is yours there in The verse? Uroquillo. Yeah, so this is a kind of a fascinating term for a a seasonal wind that I think you can read, I think even outside the Bible, about this particular nature phenomenon, which I mean, that's true of like kind of every place. Yeah, like, there's, there's like these different winds or storms that are not traditional, that's not the right word, but it's, it's science, like it's scientific with the way that they come each year and things like that. Um, and I think this would be one of those scenarios. Yeah, so it's literally the word is for like northeast wind. Right. Which is exactly what they don't need. And so it blows them out into the open water, into the Mediterranean. Because they were intending to just sail along the shoreline. Mm -hmm. um, That kind of keeps them safe. But because of this wind, we're not talking about a motorboat. We're talking about a big boat with a a sail on it. The wind pushes it back out into the open sea. Right. And things just get worse and worse. Uh, They finally are like, well, we can't. We're not going to make it back to land. So we just have to let the wind drive us along out into the open water. They've kind of lost control of uh, where they're going. And they eventually have to start throwing stuff overboard. Right. They're, they're doing everything they can to keep this boat afloat. I mean, they are, in verse 17, uh, they're using the supporting cables to go kind of underneath the ship to kind of just keep the ship together. Like Stephen said, they're throwing stuff overboard to make the ship lighter and uh, more easy to navigate, I think would be the idea. And yeah, and in verse 20, we find out that they don't have a way to navigate. Neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. So this really long storm. And of course, when you can't see the stars, like you don't know like where you're at on the open sea. And so this was really scary. 
And it, Luke records, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. I mean, this is a dark place to be. You're out here with these people in the middle of the ocean. You don't know where you are. And now you're thinking, we're, we're not going to make it back to land. Like, this is it. And then Paul's going to speak up. I'm picking up in verse 21. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, and having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to, see the, uh, to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any swim should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept from, from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. All right, so Paul starts off in verse 21. With I told a, you so. Yeah, with a not-so-subtle, I told you so. But I, I think it's important to look at. I don't think Paul's doing this just for the sake of his own pride or anything like this. I think there's a pretty good reason for him to point out that, hey, I called it. I said that this was going to happen. Because if you all would have listened to me, then we wouldn't be in this situation to begin with. So now that I've proven to you that I knew what I was talking about, now it's time to start listening to me and what I have to say. I think is the idea here. Um, I don't think it's just him trying to puff himself up and say, oh, I told you all that this was going to yeah, happen. Fun, I mean, Start listening. Yeah, and he's one of the passengers on the ship, too. Right. I mean, yeah, his exactly. fate is the same as theirs. Right. But Paul does say, like, listen to me. Like, I, I have some revelation from God here. An angel stood by me last night, and I love the way he describes himself. It's an angel of the God to whom I belong 
and whom I worship. Mm-hmm. Verse 23, I love that description. He belongs to God and worships God. May that be said of all of us. You know, This is the God to whom we belong and whom we worship. I love that. And again, he's told, you're going to stand before Caesar. This is the same kind of thing he's been told before. Like, you're going to testify about me in Rome. And so for him to get to Caesar, he has to survive the voyage there. And so you're going to be... Um, He's going to be taken care of. Yeah, and you see Paul's own journey of faith here, um, and the amount of faith he has in God. Uh, of course, in verse 24, after he's told that, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your encouragement, for I believe, faith, have faith, trust God, that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. But the thing is, everything in front of Paul looks like it's not going to turn out that way. Mm-hmm. And that's the idea of faith and trust that we're talking about. Even when everything in front of us looks like the opposite of what God said, trusting his promise and trusting his word that what he said is going to come true, even when everything else in front of us looks like the opposite. Mm-hmm. That's the idea of faith that Paul has. Um, and we learned that that's exactly what happens. That's right. So, man, the 14th night has come. So they're going like, some of them, two weeks, it sounds like almost eating nothing. Yeah. And it would and, be hard to eat under the, that amount of stress and things like that. Yeah, and so they're they've been fasting and maybe even fasting some of them and calling out to their gods or whatever. We know that not everybody on the ship is a Christian for sure. And so they they figure out, hey, like we're getting close to some land. They're seeing how deep the water is, and uh, some of the sailors are like, okay, now's our chance. Like, let's get off this boat and save our lives. And they try to, you know. They're getting the ship's boat ready. Oh, we're going to go put some anchors off the bow. And it's like, no, like they're actually going to escape. And Paul says, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Mm -hmm. And now they're listening to the prisoner. They like cut the ship's boat off and like let it go. It's kind of fascinating that now this one prisoner is calling the shots on the boat. Like, and and rightly so. I mean, this is like the upside down nature of God's kingdom is like, according to men, it'd be like, okay, who has like, no right to say anything on this boat like paul and maybe some of the other prisoners you know like you get to you get to say nothing here like you're a prisoner and yet now they've realized like god is on paul's side and the only way we can be saved is like listening to this prisoner it's kind of fascinating yeah and paul's become this leader um it tells us in verse 33 he's encouraging them all to take some food and they listen to him you know it's it's the 14th day we've been keeping watch without eating Let's let's have some food. Um, this is for your preservation. Um, preservation, if I can get that word out. No one's going to be harmed here. And yet, what does he take the time to do in verse 35? He took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all. And he broke it and began to eat. Yeah. Still takes the time to thank God, even in a moment like this. Oh, and it's so important. I mean, God's the one rescuing him. Right. And by extension, everybody else on the boat. <laughs> And that would have had a profound impact on these people. I think about these other people because, I mean, no one dies on this voyage. And, you know, I think about, like, one of the random, you know, like, ship guys who's there, you know, just doing their stuff. And, like, they get home from this voyage and you're like, you know, they go home to their wife or whatever. Like, you know, you're never going to believe what happened on this voyage. Like, I'm only here because of this God that Paul believes in. Mm -hmm. And this would have been powerful evidence to them that like this is the true god like he saved my life and uh to think think about the seeds of the gospel that paul is is planting even as a prisoner on this ship you know it's just really cool 
And Paul's intention to encourage them in verse 33 works out. In verse 36, it says, all of them were encouraged and took them themselves some food as well. And uh, this where Luke also tells us in verse 37 that in all, there were 276 persons. 276 people. That's a lot of people. Especially with COVID in 2020. I cannot think of the last <laughs> time I've been around 276 people. You know, that's a lot of people. Um, but they're all, of course... Um, well taken care of. The Lord is looking out for all of them through Paul. Super cool. Yeah. So so they're trying to get to the shore. They're thinking, well, maybe we can actually run the ship like into a beach. And that would be the easiest way because we can just like kind of jump off and not right. be in deep water. But they hit a reef. And so they have to kind of combo like, hey, if you can swim, go ahead and swim to the beach. Because like the ship is like being destroyed. Um, I would be the guy looking for a piece of wood to, to use to, <laughs> yeah, to paddle this shore. I think I would too in open water. Like this is not easy swimming. Right. Um, but all of them are safe. They're all brought safely to land. Uh, what God told Paul comes to pass. He keeps his promises. And um, Paul is still a prisoner along with the other prisoners. Because there is a uh, an idea right here at the end that like the soldiers are like, listen, we cannot lose our prisoners. Like We've seen that throughout the book of Acts. Like Roman soldiers like... You lose your prisoners, it's your neck on the line. It's better to just kill them. Right. And so, thankfully, again, the um, centurion is doing this for Paul. And he's like, no, I don't want Paul to die. So don't kill the prisoners. Let's get them to land. And, um, again, it doesn't seem like anybody actually, these prisoners don't take this opportunity to escape. Kind of like in Acts 16, when all the doors are open and the chains fall off. Like, people are, are saved spiritually but like none of the prisoners get away it's right. really interesting well let's see a little bit more about this land that they come to of course they would be super confused on where they're at so let's learn where they figure out they are look at chapter 28 and i'm going to read verses 1 through 10 when they had been brought safely through then we found out that the island was called malta and the natives they showed extraordinary kindness for because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. And when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island, named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. And after this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. They also honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed. Okay, so they figure out we're on this little island, which is just off the coast of Italy. It's called Malta. And thankfully, the native people of that island, again, they were not expecting this these uh, 
castaways and <laughs> they, yeah. who have Again, to abandon their ship that they're stuck here you know they don't have a boat anymore and it's an island and again when it says they kindled the fire and received us all we're talking about 276 people so really see just like this huge group of people probably a big bonfire that's happening a lot of work went into this yeah and so um again the little details here are kind of fascinating luke is there with them um it's it's raining it's cold again it's like late fall mm-hmm. you know at this point and um, while they're gathering sticks, putting them on the fire, Paul's helping out. Um, this viper comes up, you know, and, and bites Paul on the hand. And the people there being, it sounds like kind of superstitious. Like, I don't know what the native religion was there, but uh, they're like, this guy's got to be a murderer. You know, he escaped the sea, but justice had it in for him. And so he's not going to be allowed to live. But he just shakes off the snake. And um, they're like, well, you know, he's about to swell up and die. <laughs> waiting, him for, waiting for him to keel over. And they're like, well, he, he's still not dead. He must be a god. <laughs> so right. now it doesn't record Paul saying, no, 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 no. But like every time we've seen that in the book of Acts, like when godly people are deified, they are very quick to point out, like, no, 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 there's one god. I'm, I'm here to tell you about him, but I am not deity. Yeah, and it's interesting. We, we mentioned this at the end of our Mark season. Um, but in Mark 16 and verse 17, when, it, when Jesus is sending out the 11 apostles at the time, he says, These signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. And it also says they will pick up serpents. And the idea is if, if they end up getting bit by the serpent and they don't die, then it's a sign. Uh, it's a miracle. Much like laying on hands or, you know, um, healing the sick people or speaking in tongues. It would be one of those things. Mm-hmm. So it is helpful to see that Paul is an apostle. This is something that Jesus gave him the ability to do. But this would be for the purpose of glorifying God and sharing a message from God's word. And it, although the text doesn't explicitly say that Paul was doing any specific preaching, I think we have a safe pattern that we've seen through Acts at this point and other places that when miracles are being done, teaching is also being done to confirm their message of being from God. Yeah. It's just interesting, the number of ways that God has saved Paul yeah. in this. He's been saved from the sea. He's been saved from the soldiers who are going to kill the prisoners. And now he's saved from the serpent. <laughs> like, it's just over and over uh, we see uh, God taking care of Paul here, miraculously rescuing him from this viper bite that would have probably normally killed somebody. Um, so they're, they're on this... Uh, Island, we're going to find out in verse 11, for three months. This is quite a while that they're there. It sounds like they end up spending winter on this island. Well, they listen. Um, <laughs> until uh, spring. Um, but they find, we find out about the chief man of the island, uh, Publius. Um, they, he keeps him for three days. And uh, his father is sick with fever, dysentery. And Paul heals him. And uh, then other people on the island. I mean, this sounds like Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're all coming and being healed. And uh, they gave them great honor, and they helped them out with whatever they needed. And so it's just really interesting here. We don't read about Paul preaching specifically, but I can't imagine Paul not telling people about Jesus, who's still doing these acts of healing. God rescued Paul, but he's not just helping Paul out. He's helping out the others there on the island. And ultimately, this offer of salvation is uh, what Jesus and Paul are, are offering people. So it brings us to verse 11. Uh, let's read down through 22. After three months, 
we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we remained there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Putioli. There we found brothers, and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So here they, after they come out of Malta, they come to Cilici, um, Sicily, excuse me, um, and they go to Syracuse, uh, which is just on the southern end of Italy. Um, kind of on the boot tip, they'll eventually work up to Regium. And they'll, what they're going to be doing is working their way up the coast of Italy and eventually getting to Rome. But it's at this place called Pudioli where we're told um, they find some brethren. Um, super cool. And they're invited to stay with them for seven days. And I just don't want to overlook that. Uh, obviously, some hospitality went into that. I doubt Paul would have known everybody at that church. But they received them as brethren, which is super cool. And I love what it says at the end of verse 15. When he sees the brethren, Paul thanked God and took courage. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what we need to find is a, is a community of God's people that we're just, we're close. And I mean, even the ones he doesn't necessarily know. Now, earlier in the book of Acts, when he wrote the letter to Rome, the Christians there, he did know a lot of people in that area. But I just love what it says there. He, Paul saw the brethren, he thanked God, took courage. And so he comes there after three days. He's like, all right, let's 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 talk to the Jews. I can't go to the synagogue, but I can call the Jews to me. And so um, Paul kind of explains like how he ended up in Rome. And he's very careful to explain, I'm not here because I've done something against our people. I've not been teaching things against the law, against the customs and our fathers. But it's because the Jews handed me over to the Romans. The Romans wanted to let me go, but it's my... You know, my brethren who have wanted me to die. Um, and so I just eventually had to appeal to Caesar and say, like, well, I've got to take this to a higher court. And so that's why he says, I want to talk with you guys. Um, it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. So he's appealing to them on the basis of their mutual Jewishness. And they say, hey, like, yeah. we've heard about this sect that you're preaching, you know, Christianity, the way is what they've usually referred to it as. Um, but we haven't heard anything bad about you. Yeah, like, they haven't no, they haven't sent anyone here to talk about you yet. We haven't gotten a letter or anything like that. And so I think that works out to Paul's advantage because now he has the opportunity to teach them kind of 
unbiased. They, they, they haven't heard it one way or the other yet, so they'll be able to listen to what he has to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's hear about this kind of last sermon here in the book of Acts. Yeah, let's go ahead and read verses 23 through 31. It says, When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. And you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart in return, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. And when he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. This sounds a lot like the other synagogue sermons that we've heard Paul do, of course. And, and the responses are a lot like the other synagogue mm-hmm. uh, sermons that we've seen. Yeah, so he's talking to the Jews here. And again, he after talking with the initial like leaders of the Jews, there's a big crowd of Jews there in Rome who have come to him. And all day he's talking from morning till evening in verse 23, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And this is powerful. I mean, they know the Old Testament scriptures, and this is what Paul has always done, is start where they're at and get them to Jesus. And he's doing the same thing here in Rome, where he's been wanting to come for so long. And again, like you mentioned, Chase, the mixed mixed reaction. Yep. Some are convinced, verse 24, others disbelieved. And so Paul says, I mean, referring specifically to those who are disbelieving or rejecting this, he quotes from Isaiah 6, and man, this is quoted like all over. Yeah. Je- Jesus will quote it as well, d- directed toward the Jews as well. Mm-hmm. But the idea is is there's going to be some who just, even though when they're hearing, they're not going to understand. And even though they're seeing, they're not going to perceive what's happening. And um, so it's a really cool prophecy. Um, it's sad, but at the same time, it gives Paul some clarity that when they stop listening, I need to move on. There's other people who need to hear this message, and so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep going and take this message to the Gentiles. That's right. And what's really interesting is when you start to pair this up with the letters, I'm thinking about like the end of Philippians, where we know Paul's in Rome, under in prison. We really might call this like house arrest, based on verse 30. You know, he's at his own like rented quarters or somewhere that he's paying for. Um, that at the end of Philippians. It says, those of Caesar's household greet you. It's really interesting um, that uh, we know that the gospel is going to reach the Gentiles in Rome. And through, uh, he'll say in chapter 1 of Philippians, you know, the whole imperial guard has heard about my imprisonment is for Christ. And so just like everywhere else he is, he's going to go to the Jew first and then also to the Gentile. And people are going to hear about the gospel. It doesn't matter that Paul can't, 
travel freely now. It doesn't matter that he's kind of under house arrest or in prison. But he's welcoming everybody who comes to him in verse 30. Yeah, um, I I really think you see the Lord's hand in that. Uh, Paul has been wanting to come to Rome. He's been wanting an opportunity to teach. And and even as you're reading through it, you're like, even if he gets to Rome, he's a prisoner. Like, how is he going to be able to do this? Like, why is he wanting to go there as a prisoner? He's not going to be able to preach or teach or anything. Well, not so. Here he is for two years. People are coming to him. He's preaching the kingdom of God. That idea of the kingdom of God is something we even started with in the book of Acts, Mm -hmm. in Acts chapter 1. Um, and that's what he's telling people about is this new kingdom, this great kingdom that God has prepared where they can live and dwell and, and be a part of. And he's teaching them about Jesus with openness, unhindered, all because of God's hand. Um, and so I just think that's the big thing to see here is that the Lord has helped Paul come this far. Um, and the Lord will continue to be with him through there. That's right. And I love that last phrase that the book of acts again it ends kind of abruptly like here's paul staying for two years and uh you know i think that's because paul hasn't gone to trial yet he hasn't you know of course been executed when luke is writing this book and that's why he stops you know this is it was during this two-year stay that luke is writing uh this part two to the gospel of luke and um And he ends the book by saying he's teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That nothing can really stop the gospel, whether it's persecution or famine or, I mean, like the end of Romans 8, you know, like none of these things are going to separate us from the love of Christ. And I just so appreciate what Paul will say in 2 Timothy 2 in verse 9, um, where he talks about the gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with the chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. And that's just so true here at the end of the book of Acts, is you can chain up the Christians, you can persecute them, but nothing is going to stop the gospel from spreading, because the Christians aren't going to be silent. They're going to preach to the guard, they're going to preach to the you know whoever it is that they're around. And I love that that's how the book of Acts ends, is with the open proclamation, the unhindered gospel continuing to go out into the world. And it leaves a question for us, you know, when we're blessed, like Paul is in this moment, in an unhindered, open society where we get to talk about this, how loud are we going to be with the gospel? Um, we need to be loud no matter what, but especially in an, in an environment where we have the opportunity to be loud, be loud. Spread the gospel message, open, unhindered. You know, be proud of that message and be willing to spread it. Um, so, super cool themes that I think run throughout the Book of Acts, and that really leads us into what will be the next couple of podcasts that we have. Um, just like we did with the end of the Gospel of Mark, we kind of zoomed out and looked at some big picture things through the Book of Mark. We're going to do the same thing with the Book of Acts. We kind of have some after show uh, podcasts that discuss some of the bigger themes throughout the Book of Acts maybe like persecution or conversion or, or uh, the different things like that uh, will be the plan, Lord willing. Yeah. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on the podcast, uh, please subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. Uh, we'd love to study with you more. Uh, if there's Bible questions that you have or questions about what we're talking about, uh, reach out to us, 717-585-0949 or email at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com or check us out online at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.